0: hello again everyone and welcome to the reimagined schools podcast i'm your host greg goins i'm pleased to welcome in my very special guest today dr denver fowler dr fowler serves as an assistant professor of educational leadership at sacramento state university he's also an author of a new book the 21st century school leader Leading schools in today's world. Dr. Fowler is a former assistant principal in the state of Ohio. He specializes in research on educational technology and best practices in school leadership. It was a great honor to talk to Dr. Fowler. He has wonderful insight into K 12 education, not only in America, but abroad. So I hope you enjoy this special edition of the Reimagine Schools podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Reimagine Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm thrilled to have our special guest today, all the way from California, Dr. Denver Fowler. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be on here.
0: You know, I've been following your work for some time, and, uh, you know, former school administrator. Uh, I think you worked in the state of Ohio for a while, had a lot of success there uh, in K-12 education and school leadership. And now you're doing some big things in higher ed. So if you could just maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your background and and what you're passionate about.
1: Sure. Well, yes, I have a little bit over a decade of experience in the pre-K through 12 educational setting. And as you mentioned, as a, an administrator, a teacher, coach, athletic director, technology coordinator. Uh, and then alongside my full-time practitioner experience, I was adjuncting at the Ohio State University for uh, seven years, and, and did some online adjuncting at Bowling Green State University and the University of West Florida, uh, and, and, and I'm starting my tenth year in higher education this fall. Uh, again, seven of the seven of seven of those years part time, uh, and starting my fourth full time year in higher ed, uh, where I've been charged with preparing future school leaders for the pre-K through 12 setting. And as, as far as uh, what I'm passionate about, I'm, I'm extremely passionate uh, about science, really bridging that gap between theory and practice uh, for our aspiring school leaders who are going to go on to be assistant principals, athletic directors, principals, uh, superintendents, and a variety of roles at district office. So really taking the, the research and the theoretical side of things and making it make sense for our soon-to-be practitioners.
0: Well, you have a wonderful new book out called the 21st century school leader leading schools in today's world. And uh, I know you've had a lot of success with it uh, thus far. So congrats on that. I know there are a lot of uh, colleges and universities are probably going to use it uh, as part of their college prep coursework Uh, and then practitioners as well are going to get a lot out of it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the book project, what your motivation was and uh, just kind of what can we expect if we buy the
1: book? For sure. Yeah. You know, First and foremost, I visited several schools, uh, both as a uh, individual in higher education and a consultant uh, across the globe. And, and one thing I found is the majority of schools that I was visiting, districts, buildings, were not utilizing technology effectively with school leadership or even classroom instruction, and, and leading schools a lot like we used to lead schools. and And in my book, I think it is important uh, to note that. I put in there the traditional approach, so really taking those traditional proven practices from yesterday, and really uh, tying them in and utilizing them with the 21st century, even thinking beyond that, uh, and 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 how we lead our schools effectively with technology and how we use technology effectively in the classroom. So uh, that's where I started with the book, and then of course, you know, I really wanted to write a book that was going to benefit the practitioners that are currently practicing in school administrators, but also uh, a book that could be used in educational leadership preparation programs who are preparing those school leaders. So uh, I wrote it with that angle and that focus uh, and and really wanted it to be applicable to both settings. Uh, What you can expect uh, there's a wealth of technology uh, shared uh, both, for school leaders and also for school leaders as instructional leaders for their teachers. Uh, and then, you know, I, I try to cover everything. Uh, so, uh, the importance of being a lifelong learner, closing the achievement gap, ethics and leadership, the professional standards for educational leaders, the, a small or brief history on those standards, school climate, school culture, work-life balance, uh, professional learning network, leading for inclusiveness, educational policy, school law, school finance, human resources. And and I wrapped it up with tips for school leaders, which is just a collection of some of my favorite books and quotes and podcasts, much like this one, uh, that I recommend for school leaders to tap into for free professional development
0: yeah and it's really kind of an a to Z guide for school leadership, so i you know it's going to really serve us well here in higher ed as well as those folks trying to do the day to day work in schools the The thing that I was really excited about when i when I read the book was excuse me, you talked about digital natives, and that's you know that's a term we both know that uh, was thrown out around two thousand. 2001 by Mark Prinsky, a a former teacher and author and speaker. Uh, But talking about this, uh, I call it a disconnect at times between digital natives, those, you know, those digital learners we have in our schools that were born in a world of technology and digital immigrants. And as an example, I'm 50 years old. I remember getting on the Internet for the very very first time as a first year teacher during the 1995-96 school year. But I love this conversation about digital natives and digital immigrants. And I don't think we talk enough about that and the impact it has in the classroom.
1: No, I agree. And, and you know, it, there's research out there that shows that your parents, your stakeholders, your student staff, parents, community members, business owners, they are accessing social media uh, via their phone much more than they are uh, getting on a school website Uh, and and doing some of those things maybe they had done in the past. So, uh, and it really speaks to them being digital natives, you know, born and and grown up in the digital era. And many of these are our parents, uh, not just our students. You know, I was was at a conference the other day, and I was speaking with uh, some folks there at the conference. And I said, you know, this summer, if you hired a teacher, so think about this. So if you hired a brand new teacher fresh out of a teaching program, that had graduated from high school went straight through their teaching program. They would have been born in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to get, you know, often these folks are coming in uh, these these teachers that have a, a stronger digital skill set than sometimes the administrators that are leading those schools. So it's extremely important, uh, as you said, that we even if we're digital immigrants, we're not digital natives, so to speak. We're the analog. Uh, the analog era, we have to stay abreast of this technology and, and the current technology that's out there. $8.15 billion was spent in the first 10 months of 2017 alone on educational technology. And, and so we don't even know what's down the pipeline. But just to, to, just to uh, touch a little bit on exactly what you're talking about, I love the quote, there are really two types of schools, those who prepare kids for the future and those who allow adults to live comfortably in the past. And, and you know you can you can walk into most schools and you can sum them up uh, as to which school they are, uh, because often the ones that are pushing the envelope, they're innovative, and, and they're trying to uh, incorporate technology wherever they can and where effectively are the schools that are preparing kids for the future. And then those that don't allow their teachers to get on social media, don't allow their administrators to get on social media, and and, and block. Uh, you know sometimes bring your own device and and, and certain uh, websites and things like that that can be used for learning are really those schools that are allowing the adults to live the adults to live comfortably in the past and so yeah it 's extremely important uh, as uh, as I said, most if not all stakeholders currently in this day and age are digital natives, and
0: you know uh, that's a great point i couldn't agree more. Uh, I recently read an article that, that cited a statistic that said. Uh, annually, uh, schools in America spend $400 per student on technology. So, you know, you multiply that by some of these large districts that may have thousands of students. Think about how much money school districts are spending each year on technology. Yet, when kids come to the door with a device, whether it's a smartphone or an iPad or whatever the case may be, we tell them to shut it down, put it away. It may end up in what I call the cell phone jail there in the main office. It just, it makes right. no sense that we spend all this money and then kids have a more relevant experience after school with the free Wi-Fi at McDonald's and they do from eight to three o'clock. So something has to change there.
1: Yes. And, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, the other, the other piece of that is we miss out on what I, I believe is real teachable moments uh, for the students in your school district and in your school building you know, teaching them to pause before they post. Uh, I like to say, face your problems, don't Facebook your problems, you know, just teaching them about their digital footprint and and what that truly means uh, before they become adults. Uh, We see it all the time across our nation. Uh, Some great football player loses a scholarship for something they tweeted, or, uh, you know, I could share many examples along those lines, but there's real consequences for things that we put out there on the internet In our digital footprint, Uh, you know, and we when I was still a practitioner, we would bring in each grade level in the summer with their parents and and really, you know, uh, invest time into telling them how important it is to Google yourself. Look at what your digital footprint looks like. Uh, Is it something that you want out there? Does it truly represent who you are? and talking about pause before you post and things like that. And so when you just say no to all technology and turn your phones off and and things like that, you're learning out on those, or you're missing out on those teachable moments that can be vital to those students. Uh, You know, when we talk about preparing them to be college career and life ready, that's that life ready piece, you know, making sure they fully understand the consequences of the things they post on the internet.
0: And, you know, I also find it very interesting that, Kids don't talk about technology at school. Uh, It's just a part of their everyday being. It's the adults that talk about technology. What technology are we going to use? We have to have a PD day to learn how to use this tool or that tool. And I think we're to the point where there are so many wonderful digital tools out there, and a lot of them are free, which is a great thing. But I also think a lot of times teachers are just so overwhelmed with it, and they know they're behind the students who are digital natives, And sometimes it becomes just a very frustrating proposition to try to figure out what to do with all the technology.
1: Yes, I agree. You know, one, uh, the students are ahead of us. And and you're right, they're not having those conversations. It's just a natural part of their daily life. Uh, I've I've done some consulting recently, and I was working with this district, and they said, We got to think of what our hashtag is going to be. You know, so we were starting to look, and I did some. Searching around on social media, I said, "Well, you already have a hashtag. You know, the students had already come up with a hashtag and they were using it, and it was trending for their school district. So they're they're not going to wait on us, that's for sure." But uh, just to th- I agree, there's so much social media, or there's you know there's so many apps and social media out there. I really do believe that teachers need to find something that is useful for them, uh, and and whatever it is they're trying to accomplish with that technology versus jumping all over the place. Uh, and, and then also, uh, when we're talking about administrators, they need to stay on top of the technology, the new technology that's out there. Uh, you know, I, I remember it was only five years ago, and I was in my office, and these uh, two girls in the middle school asked to see me. They came in my office, and they said, you know, so-and-so's bullying us on Snapchat. I said, really? And I said, give me one second. I ended up going out of the office and going over to uh, the other office, and I hurried up and Googled, what is Snapchat? You know, so I, it, it had just come out. I had not heard of it, and I had to go over there and figure out uh, what it was. So, yeah, it's it's important to stay abreast of those things. But, yeah, as far as the, the apps and technology, you have to do your research, Uh, any app or or anything out there that's promising they can do it all is probably uh, lying. And and you're really, and and yeah, you're right. There's a lot of free ones. So you have to dig, dig around and look around.
0: And, and you know, I also love the fact that you included, I think there's an an entire chapter on uh, school culture and using social media to tell your story. And that's becoming more and more popular in school districts as school administrators. Again, the adults are the ones that uh, seem to put up the roadblock on some of this stuff, but uh, social media is where kids are. It's where they want to be. So why not use that as a teaching tool and an engagement tool?
1: Right, and and, and you know it really comes down to uh, a lot of it works quicker, and you can accomplish a lot of the same things you you want to do in a classroom in a shorter amount of time. And you know a lot of it has front end work. You know, for example we had a lot of success using Plickers, the Plickers app. Now, it takes some front-end work on the, behalf, on the, on, on the part of your teachers, but once they get all those class rosters loaded in and, 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 and all of that front-end work, you can simply do formative assessment each and every day after every lesson, and those results go right into your, your electronic gradebook, and, and then you, it allows you to look at who's getting it and who's not, and then you can provide intervention and enrichment. And so uh, it speeds up all these things that would take a lot longer if they were on paper uh, and things like that. And so you're not devoting instructional time as much as as much instructional time as you would be by utilizing some of this technology.
0: You know, I think back to when I was a school district superintendent, and I spent 15 years in that role in the state of Illinois before moving into higher ed. But I think about how much money we spent uh, with website companies, design companies to design the perfect website. And I remember doing a survey one year and the top two things that we got from our community, people, uh, first of all, people aren't going to our website I found, but if they do go, they're looking for the lunch menu, number one, and they're looking for the school calendar, number two. And I was talking to some people the other day, uh some other superintendents here in Kentucky and I said you know why spend the money on it you you can put that stuff on your twitter account or on facebook and it's free so you know we really have to rethink the way we share information
1: yes and and we we're seeing website design go to uh you know one page that scrolls all the way up we're getting away from all of these different web pages uh, a lot of school districts are going with the less is more approach uh, to their websites and, and really linking it up to all of their social media. You know, the big four is uh, probably the big three is Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and, and maybe LinkedIn is a, as number four to that. But, you know, you go on those websites you can link to the YouTube channels and things like that through the icons. And, you know, I would argue that more parents are reading the newsletters and things like that that are posted on the website than they are picking up the hard copies in the office uh, nowadays. And, and so, and there's certainly research out there that shows that these folks are accessing their smartphones uh, uh, more so than they are their their desktop computers if if they even have those at home. So, yeah, it's certainly you know you got to think it from. it's, it's gotta be all encompassing. You know, you're, we're talking website, we're talking technology with classroom instruction. We're talking about technology with teacher evaluation, uh, technology to brand yourself and build a professional learning network as an administrator or teacher uh, who maybe aspires to be an administrator and an administrator who maybe aspires to be a superintendent. Uh, So all of those things are are equally important. Uh, You know, uh, back to my practitioner days, again, I was in a middle school where I served as the athletic director and assistant principal. And I remember we always had this slogan, it all matters. And, and so it really, it really does. You know, you can't leave any stone unturned when it comes to uh, the technology piece to your school building or school district and, and how vital it is, especially, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, that all these stakeholders are digital natives. And, and so they expect that uh, of us as school leaders in school districts and buildings.
0: You know, another thing that, that I really like about your background is, is you're an outstanding researcher, first of all. And and I know that Thank you're you. you have a presence on an international scale. And I think a lot of times we get too caught up in what's happening here in our backyard. And we don't think about how public education is perceived uh really globally. You know, you, you think about uh you know we always hear about Finland and all the great things that are happening there. They're on the cutting edge Of education, but I know you've spent time in Greece. You've spent time in other countries doing some different things. How is education different globally than it is here in the states? And what can we learn from some of those other countries?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think most people are surprised when we have conversations like this about my international travels and and what I'm hearing from uh, both scholars and, and and researchers and professors and practitioners. In other countries from Greece, Italy, China, Africa, uh, uh, Puerto Rico, Cuba, and and all these places. And the resounding and the commonality uh, that I hear from those folks is they want their education systems to be like the United States, Uh, which, you know, in some of those countries was a surprise to me, especially when I was in China. Uh, Hearing some of those higher ed folks who prepare future teachers and administrators, say, we want our education system in pre-K through 12 to look like what it is in the United States. Uh, they want more choice and, and some of the curriculum they, and some more flexibility. And, and so uh, I'm, I, I heard those things. and I couldn't believe it, having uh, not previously traveled internationally uh, and then just started traveling quite a bit. And, and yeah, this, the, the consensus that I kept hearing was we want our education system to be like the United States. Uh, which is great. Uh, And, and, you know, there's a lot of great things happening in the United States with our pre K through 12 educational setting uh, uh, and and public education. But of course there's, there's a lot of things we could, we could do better. You know, we still live in a day and age where a zip code often determines uh, the type of education a child receives, the type of facilities that they're going into each and every day uh, and and often dictates their future. And, And so, uh we still have a lot long ways to go uh to uh making education uh equal in this in this country uh, that everybody's getting the same type of education the same level uh but yeah so i you know as far as what other countries are doing uh you know probably uh most of those conversations have turned to what are you doing in the United States? we want to know uh and, and so I, I do think. That there's certain things that just aren't applicable to here. So as you mentioned, Finland, it's just not apples to apples. You know, it's, it's, it's a different demographic of students. Uh, and, and a lot of things that, that they're doing with regards to the curriculum and testing, it's just not apples to apples. And so we also need to do a better job in the United States of not comparing ourselves to countries that really don't mirror us with regards to uh, d- our demographics. Uh, our students' socioeconomic status, uh, uh, race, uh, ethnicity, and background, and, and and really focus on what we can do to make our education system better uh, versus comparing ourselves to countries that don't necessarily have students that face the same problems as our students.
0: Yeah, and we talk a lot about innovation and what that looks like, and it's going to look different in different places, but uh, we talk about uh, creating better schools for kids, and in the research that you've done and and the visits you've made uh, and going out and talking to people as, as you speak and, of course, as you write as an author, what are some of those things that kind of jump off the page? What do we have to do to create those better schools for
1: kids? Sure. Well, you know, first and foremost, back to what I said earlier, just understanding how to utilize technology effectively with our school leadership and our classroom instruction. Uh, some of the most innovative schools that I have visited, some of the most innovative uh, school leaders that I've been around fully understand what that means. And, and again, they stay abreast of all changes uh, happening uh, on a daily basis. And, and they're, they're, they're reading books, they're listening to podcasts, they're participating in Twitter chats. So th- they're constantly sharpening uh, their skills, so to speak, and, and making sure that they're, they're tapping into their professional learning network to learn from each other and other school leaders around the globe. Uh, second to that, uh, you know, when we talk about innovation, schools need to do a, a better job, I believe, in celebrating everything and celebrating often. Uh, Ohio, I, you know, all my practitioner experiences in the state of Ohio, and I may be a little bit biased, but one of the things that they implemented that I think is just awesome is they Most school districts release a quality profile report. And so, uh, sure, they have the report card uh, based on their state uh, standardized uh, testing, and and that is what it is, and and you have to embrace that, and of course you want to improve it if you need to, but they also celebrate all of those other things that are happening in the school building. You know, a student gets student of the month, a teacher gets teacher of the year, an administrator gets administrator of the year. Uh, being transparent about the, the school district's finances uh, so that the community members, the stakeholders, understand what you are working with as far as a budget and, and how you're making decisions that are best for all students with regards to that budget. So uh, I think that's an innovative approach uh, to getting away from letting uh, state assessment results tell a school story or a school district story and saying, no, we're going to tell our own story. We're not going to let the state or others tell our story for us. And and I think that's that's pretty innovative. They even have a template and and even some of the, uh, you know, it's mostly a district level thing, but I've even seen some school buildings in the state of Ohio release their own quality profile report. And again, the state assessment results and student achievement are part of that report, but they celebrate everything else that is happening uh, throughout a given school year. Some districts do those every six months. Some do them every year, once a year. So it's always a year behind. But I I think it goes a great way to getting away from or a a, a long way of getting away from allowing uh, state assessment results to be the whole story uh, that's attached to a district or a building.
0: You know, as, as a practitioner myself who's now working in higher ed, I have great admiration for what you've been able to do. And again, if you get the chance, you need to get this book, The 21st Century School Leader, Leading Schools in Today's World. It's a wonderful guide to help not only the aspiring school leader, but those that are currently sitting in those positions. And we know those positions can be tough. I mean, it's, uh, it's a very grueling job, and, and I thank you for the work that you've done. But just to kind of give you a closing thought, what are some of the other projects you have in the works? And, uh, and tell us where we can get the book and where we can find you on social media.
1: Sure. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, I do have a few books that I'm working on now. Of course, the book that we've uh, discussed here on this podcast, but Human Resources, A Practical Guide for School Leaders. I'm, I'm co-authoring that off of Roman and Littlefield. That comes out next year. Uh, and then a guide to educational technology in the digital millennial age, uh, and that will come out off of ICPEL publications in 2020. Uh, and then I'm also I have another book, Transfer, transformative, uh, transformative leadership in schools, uh, and I'm co-authoring that as well, and that'll be off Word Indeed Publishing in 2021. My current book, you can get, well, you know, our slogan is you can purchase it anywhere books are sold. Uh, But it's mainly selling on Amazon. So uh, you can pick it up at Amazon, or you can go to the publishing group's website, Word Indeed Publishing Incorporated. And then there's also, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, As far as my social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Denver J. Fowler. And that's mainly uh, where I I, uh, am active on social media today. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, and Instagram if you want to look me up uh, on those uh, outlets as well.
0: Well, I certainly want to thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to get to talk to you in person. Uh, I, I follow you on social media, and you actually have me hooked on LinkedIn because you you have a pretty uh, you know, a good presence there as well. So that's something that, that you've helped me kind of dabble in. So thanks for all you've done, and thanks for being here today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
0: And thanks to all of our listeners for listening to this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. And as always, do what you can in your school and your community to create better schools for kids. Until next time, farewell from the Reimagined Schools podcast.